Good morning. Diamonds, cereal, doorbells, napkins, fast food, malls, Applebee's, beer, and golf. Who knows what these all have in common? These apparently are the industries that millennials have killed. Now, I never knew my generation had this much power, but apparently we do. Now, okay, maybe that's not true. Maybe I don't believe that, in fact, we have ruined the world by choosing to not eat at Applebee's. However, there is one habit that I find particularly in my own generation that drives me crazy. And it's a habit that I've seen over the past decade expanding across society, breaking all age and social barriers. And maybe we can blame it on Facebook and their maybe button, or maybe not. But what I have seen is in the last decade, when someone RSVPs to an event, it is hard to take them seriously. I cannot count the number of times in the past few years that I have invited someone to a party, to a show, to a wedding, to be told yes, and then only a few minutes before get a text or a call saying, sorry, I can't make it. Now, not wanting to be one who throws stones in a glass house, I fully confess that I have fallen into this trap many times myself. And the truth is that most of the time when this happens, we all shrug it off. Because life comes up, and we understand that. Sure, we might be temporarily sad or disappointed, but we get it and we move on. Our passage today includes Jesus telling a group of Pharisees that were gathered together for a meal a story a parable about another group of people who had been invited to a different banquet. And the very first thing we notice in this story is that it is no ordinary party. This is a party being thrown by a very important person, and many people have been invited. It was not a party that you were going to say no to if you wanted any kind of social standing in that community. And the host, rather than leave it up to people to figure out when the party started or to leave it up to them to have to get there on their own, decides to do something different. He decides that when the time for the party has arrived, he is going to send a servant out door to door to remind and collect the people that it's beginning. And this is a great honor. And so the the servant begins to go from home to home, knocking on door to door, trying to alert people that it is time to come, the table is set, and the party is ready. And each door he knocks on, he begins to hear a similar refrain. Please excuse me, the people say. I'm simply too busy. And one by one, they set their reasons before the messenger for why they can no longer attend the banquet. Busyness is an interesting concept, isn't it? On the one hand, we hate it. We are all searching for ways to relax more, have a little more self-care, have more fun time to do what we want. 
On the other hand, we have a love affair with it. Ask anyone how they're doing on any given day and what is the most common response you will get? I'm so busy. Busy, so busy. And in many ways we revel in this because being busy means that we're doing enough or making enough or are liked enough that we're proving our worth every day. And instead of it being the exception for extreme times of stress in our lives, busyness has become our default. It has become our norm. In fact, we expect people to be busy. And if someone's not, we tend to think they're failing. If you were to come up to someone at work and say, how are you doing today? And their response was, you know, I'm really good. Everything is calm, everything is organized and where it should be. I have no stress in my life. I have time to do what I'd like. Yeah, you'd laugh a little or think that they were clearly not doing their job. Because we are busy with so many things. We are busy with work and we're busy with home and we're busy with family and we're busy with activities and we're busy with church. And we run from thing to thing, trying to fill our days and our nights, even with things that are good and fruitful and productive. In a study that was taken last year, it was found that only about 23% of Americans take all of their vacation time that they are allotted. In fact, the average employee only takes half of their yearly allotted vacation time. And even those who are going on vacation aren't 100% vacationing. Two-thirds of people reported taking work with them on vacation. An increase of 5% from just a few years ago. In this very church, when some of you have come up and kindly asked me how I'm doing and I have replied to you, I'm really busy. What I get in response is people telling me that that must mean I'm being a good pastor. Or, well, that's why you get paid. <laughs> a few years ago, I took a group of high school students up to a retreat for winter up in the mountains. There was no cell service, no computer service. We had three students have panic attacks so severe that we had to call an ambulance. You see, these kids have spent their entire life so busy going from one sport to an AP class to a college application after another in a circular function that they didn't know how to relax. It scared them so much they had a panic attack. They are children. It is the American way to be busy. And our three guests in our parable today all have good reasons to be busy. The first man just bought a new field. It's the equivalent of you in the middle of the biggest business deal of your life. Of course your friend would understand if you couldn't make dinner. You've got to close this deal. The other man has just bought 10 oxen. Now, in that time, a well-off, stable person would be lucky to own one or two in their life. This man has just bought 10. This is a huge investment. He needs to look after it, a friend would seem to understand. 
The third man just got married. Would we begrudge him time with his new bride? No. And yet, you see, this is the tricky thing about idols. Because we spend all our time looking out for the bad ones that we have been warned about. And we miss the ones that are sitting right in front of us. Because idols aren't just terrible sins that we fall into. They're not just excessive greed or sex or fame. All the negative things we try to avoid. You see, idols aren't inherently bad things in their nature. They are anything that take the precedent of God in our life and become number one in our heart. A successful company, wise investments, a marriage, a spouse, our children, our volunteer work, guns, sports, education, church, nostalgia, and a longing for the way things used to be. All of these things have the possibility of being idols in our life if we let them. One of the most important parts of this entire parable that we often miss is the opening line because Jesus tells his listeners that the host was bringing about or preparing or getting the party ready. You see, what we're meant to understand here is that from the time the invitations went out to the time the party was beginning, wasn't right away. There's some sort of time in between the invitation and the realization of the party, time in which people might have gotten tired of waiting, tired of waiting for this promised meal, and instead began to look for other ways to fill their time and find joy. And I can't help but think about us, about how when we first hear the promise of the good news, when we first hear about our invitation to the king's table, how excited we get and how much we look forward to it. But then, then the long road of discipleship begins and the promise seems to be taking a long time to get here And we begin to wonder too, and we begin to tire of waiting for the call to come. And this is the thing with idols, that the root desire for idolatry is not to create something else that we can worship in the place of God. More often than not, idolatry stems from the desire to get closer to the God we worship. When the Israelites made that first idol, it is directly correlated to the amount of time that Moses and God seemed to be gone on that mountain. When the waiting had seemed to stretch on to an unbearable point and the promise had yet to be fulfilled and they began to look for a way to create it themselves, to reconnect, to draw God back to them on their timetable. But Here is what we know about God. God cannot be seen. God cannot be put to our timetable. 
And as we wait here for the great banquet to begin, we too seek out ways to get closer to God, to force God to be in our lives. We look for ways to create feelings of joy and peace and belonging and security on our own. Things that really can only come from God himself. And the problem is when the messenger finally does come to call, all of a sudden we are too busy to heed him. Because we have become so wrapped up in all of the things we use to try to get closer to God that we miss God's call in our life. And all of a sudden the things that we built now own us. And they are harsh taskmasters. And we are no longer than free to attend the banquet because we are too busy to attend other things in our life first, things that have become dearer to our heart than responding to the call of the host. When I picture an idol in my head, I always picture a large metal object. And I can't help but consider how very heavy that object is to drag across the sand. In fact, that's the thing with idols. Rather than lifting us closer to God as we had intended, they drag us back down. And so the servant returns to the host. And he tells him what all the guests have said, and the host becomes very angry. And it is righteous anger. But rather than retaliating against those who have suddenly become too busy to attend his banquet, the host does something else, something surprising. He tells his servant, all right, fine. I want you to go out. I want you to find the beggars and the blind and the crippled and the poor, and I want you to invite them. And when that's done and there's still more room, he says, now go out into the streets and the lanes and find the people who are there and invite them too. You see, he decides instead to send out the invitation to people who aren't too busy to heed it. Why is he so angry? I don't think he's angry because his feelings are hurt. I think the host is angry because he knows. He knows what is going to happen, how misled his original guests have become, how far off the path they have wandered. And he knows that they will now spend the rest of their lives chasing after the same food, the same feelings, the same everything that he was going to freely offer them. And he knows that they will never eat at his table, not because he's barred them from it, but because the path they have chosen has so entangled them that they will never be able to see their need or see their real hunger because they are too preoccupied. They are too busy to heed it. They are too far gone with too many other things that have taken precedent in their heart that they have forgotten the importance of the host and the banquet he was throwing to begin with. Recently, study, uh, researchers performed a study 
They're from the University of Chicago. They invited 176 people to participate in a study about food and meals. Like us, they understood that for some reason at a table, something seems to happen. Barriers seem to break down. People seem to grow closer. Relationships are built. But they wanted to take that thought further. They thought maybe it's more than just sharing a table or sitting next to somebody. And so they performed three different experiments with people. And they came to a startling discovery that more important than just eating at a particular location together was what people ate. They discovered that those people who ate the same foods had a noticeable increase in trust and cooperation. One of the researchers, upon reporting their observations, said, I think food really connects people. It's about bringing something into the body, and to eat the same food suggests that both are willing to bring the same thing into our bodies. People feel closer to people who eat the same food that they do. You see, the invitation of the host is more than an invitation to just come eat at a table. It is an invitation to community, to trust and cooperation to all those who partake of his food. The host offers us the same food he eats. He offers us him very self in that cup and that bread. The host invites us to commune with him and our brothers and our sisters in a way that makes us into a family that begins to make us into one. And when we choose instead to get our sustenance from another source, what we end up doing is setting ourselves apart and outside from that community. Today is Palm Sunday. It is the day when we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. The day when the crowds cheered him as king, Hosanna, Savior, rescue. And the people, the blind and the lame and the crippled and the poor, those in the streets, the busy and the not, those are the ones who were not too busy to see the Savior coming in their midst and to welcome him. In his book, Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller wrote, Dying for something is easy because dying is associated with glory. Living for something is the hard thing. Because living for something extends beyond fashion and glory and recognition. We live for what we believe. And he's right. It is hard to live for what we believe. Because if we say we believe in Jesus, we have to ask ourselves every day, how are we living for him and not us? And living for Jesus, for the host, means sometimes we have to give up the things we want for the things that we need. 
It means saying no to soccer parties and games and meetings and all of the things we would fill our day-to-day life with, all the things that consume us to the point that when the Spirit shows up, we say no because the timing is just inconvenient. Those on the streets were the ones and are the ones desperately waiting for the banquet to begin. There is nothing and no one that will keep them from heeding the host's call because they have nothing else to sustain them. And so they eagerly await his arrival. And we are called to be like them. In fact, we must be like those if we hope to eat at his table. See, the host is sending his servant and he's knocking on our doors and he is saying, the table is set and the party is ready. And he's waiting to hear our answer. And we have to decide, is it that we are too busy with life? Or are we ready to follow him? Hosanna, here comes the king in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.